Welcome to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. My name is Stuart Pedley-Smith, Head of Learning at Kaplan UK. In this series, you're going to hear from students and experts as we take a look at a range of topics related to personal and career success in the world of accountancy and finance. Who doesn't like food, but the type of food you eat matters. Research has now proven that there are direct links between what you eat, your well-being, mood and cognitive performance. My guest today is Anjanette Fraser, who is an expert in nutrition. She has a master's in nutritional medicine and has been a registered nutritionist for 17 years. Prior to this, she worked for PwC in London as a graduate in corporate finance, spending five years specialising in mergers and acquisitions, which gives her the perfect background to be our guest on this podcast. Anjanette, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Anjanette, you, you run your own business. It's called Natural Alternative. But I don't think this is a surprise given your family background. I think they were all a little bit entrepreneurial, weren't they? They are a little bit. And I think I didn't realise at the time that I was in a fortunate position that I was given the space to choose what I wanted to do in terms of career choice. Um, But that's correct. My dad's, my paternal side of my family are all entrepreneurs. My dad is, his brother, his sister his parents. And so it just became a possibility that, yes, I would go on and and have a a business of my own one day. But when you're young, that can be quite frightening. And I wasn't too sure of that. But I was interested in the financial sector. So that's where my career started. So there's a bit of an entrepreneurial background in the family. You were interested in finance. Yeah. And then you end up in nutrition. How did that bit work? Yeah, it doesn't work very well. It's not an obvious link, is it? I know many people have made that comment to me. Um, I think, to be honest, when I, when in retrospect, when I look at it, so my first degree was in business. That's no surprise, really. I actually, as part of my coursework and assignment, um, had to devise a fictitious share portfolio. And it was over, I think, the Easter holidays. We had like a month to basically track these shares that we had fictitiously decided to invest in. And I got this brilliant return after a month and that had me hooked. So I thought, well, this can't be that difficult. So when I graduated, I thought, right, I think it's got to be London. It's got to be something to do with shares. It's got to be something to do with the finance industry. So I went for a position uh, in the graduate scheme at PwC in London and I was one of 11 graduates that year, I believe out of 3,000 applicants. Um, I think I was the only girl, um, but it was a long time ago now. But uh, yes, I was uh, put into uh, corporate finance. uh, So I did mergers and acquisitions. um, And I really loved that career, but I got to about 26. And there was a mini recession that happened. I don't know if you can remember that, Stuart, at that time. And I was part of uh, a redundancy. Um, I think about 10% actually of corporate finance professionals were made redundant at PwC. And I was one of those. Um, But I was also, it was quite good timing because I was already looking to move to the Sydney office in Australia. So I took my redundancy money and I decided to go and explore this other side of the world because of 911. The economy was a little bit slower over there as well. And I was more expensive to recruit because I was a foreign visa. So after about six months of um, job interviews, I decided that maybe this wasn't the thing after all to continue corporate finance. So to pursue something which would be 
more of interest in something that I had as a child and I'm quite an inquisitive person and I always wanted to know why is my hair this colour? Whose nose have I got? Why do I do this? And it used to drive my parents mad. But still for me as an adult, I still believe everything has an answer. So I started studying nutrition when I was out there with the intention that when I qualified in four years time that um, I would start my own business. It's funny talking to people on these podcasts that journeys are very rarely linear and there's just a tipping point you know a sliding door had that not happened at that time oh yeah um you know things things would be very different wouldn't they absolutely and so can I talk about brain performance really I suppose and moving it sort of right into the scientific domain um I, I refer to the science of food and nutrition as being important to well-being and mood and cognitive performance could you draw the links between how food helps us learn more effectively or stay alert or changes our mood, etc. Yeah, I could talk to you about this for all week. You know, nutrition is one of those fundamentals. It's a cornerstone. It's the foundation of, of us, of our being. We used to think that genetics were our destiny. But now what we realize is that diet, nutrition, is actually what's considered a modifiable factor. So actually, we are, of course, born with our genes, mm. but it's within our destiny to choose whether they can be turned on or not. And certainly nutrition has a role in that. So being well, being healthy can certainly improve our life, our health. We don't have to follow the same path as our parents. So that can be a long-term goal, a medium to long-term goal for people. But in terms of short-term goals, in terms of the effect of nutrition, for example, we think about focus and concentration. For many of the listeners, they may be studying at the moment and they want to optimise their brain function in terms of memory and recall. And we certainly know that what we eat can affect that in the very immediate term because of things like the glycemic index. So if our listeners have maybe not heard of what that is, it's, there's a very good website, literally www.glycemicindex.com. And it has a search function where you can put foods in there and it actually ranks foods on a scale of zero to 100 in terms of how quickly they release their glucose into your bloodstream. And it's used as part of what we now call personalized nutrition. So how we can start to change what we eat in accordance to what we want for our activities that we're going to be doing that day. What do you eat then? You know, when you are hungry, when your energy is crashing and your concentration as well. Well, instead of choosing some of the what we call the higher glycemic index foods, which will give you the quicker release of glucose, like bananas or more of the white foods, white bread, white pasta, white rice, cakes, biscuits, all of those kind of things. If you want more stable energy to match your requirement for more concentration, more stable concentration, you choose lower glycemic index foods. And these foods are slower to digest, so they fill you for longer. And it means therefore that you have uh, less need for craving of, of these cakes and biscuits because you just are not hungry, you're fuller for longer. But also that's your energy. So you don't have these dramatic peaks and troughs. It's far more stable. So I always use the example with my children, because I do wear, as well as having my nutrition hat, I do also wear a real world hat. 
And I can guarantee you, when it's three o'clock and they come home from school, they are going to raid the cupboard for the cakes and the biscuits. <laughs> and my little hack or my little sneaky way around this is I say to them, okay, you can have that sweeter treat. But if you have it with a glass of milk or a yogurt, something that's got a source of protein, fat or fibre, that helps to slow down the speed of the glucose release, which means it has less of a dramatic effect on your blood glucose level. So that's a little trick that we can use as adults as well. Yeah, yeah. And we, I think we all need life hacks, they call them, don't they, I think? Mm. And can you say something about the, the, the gut-brain connection? Because I think a lot of people sort of, possibly because of, I'm going to say because of gravity, but they kind of go, the head's at the top and the stomach's at the bottom, therefore the head sort of tells the stomach what to do and there's nothing very clever going on down there at all and all your cognitive function takes place here but that's not entirely true is it no you're right that's what we used to think but the science is uh, amazing stuff and yes taking a sort of different tack here in terms of nutrition so previously i was talking about in terms of energy and, and performance but if we think now in terms of the role of the brain and the gut we're thinking more about the role of mental health and it's appearing also the role in immunity as well. And we used to think that the brain was very separate from the gut. And yet, if we think back to maybe exams, maybe at the moment or when you were studying GCSEs or A-levels or whatever, if you were really nervous, did you have those butterflies in your tummy? And I think we all did. And we just kind of accepted that that's just what happened Obviously, we now realize that they are connected. So it is this thing called the vagus nerve, which is a what we call a biodirectional highway. So it goes two ways. So basically, the brain connects with the gut and the signals go back and forward thousands of times in a day. So thinking about serotonin, which is the, the feel-good neurotransmitter, what we now realize is that about 80% of the serotonin is actually produced in the gut and it's actually transported to the brain. Whereas before we used to think it was just about the brain and it's the same for immunity. About 70 to 80% of the immune cells are in our gut. I'm Evie Barrett and I'm an ACCA student. When studying or working, I always find that if I have a heavy carby lunch, I get so tired in the afternoon and I just can't focus. So especially in the lead up to exams, I'll be sure to eat lighter and healthier meals to keep me going throughout the day. Water's good for everything, good for your complexion. It's good for everything. What, what do you say about water? Is, should we be drinking more or less or is there an optimum? I think we need to think about whether it has to be water. So it's a beer is acceptable, is that, is that what, where you're coming from? I would go more for fruit and vegetables, Stuart, on that approach <laughs> rather than beer. Um, fruit and vegetables are, you know, good sources of, of fluid as well. Um, but um, I know people Google it. How much water should I drink? Yeah. And I think Google will tell you one and a half to two liters. But let's be honest about it. You know, no two days are the same. Should you drink the same fluid in the summer you should in the winter? Of course not. So the realistic option that we always suggest yeah. as nutritionists to people is check the color of your urine. So every time you visit the bathroom, just before you flush, have a quick glance. It should be 
a sort of champagne pale yellow colour. If it's darker than that, that means you're potentially dehydrated. So grab a drink on the way back to your desk or wherever you're going. And obviously it's going to depend upon the temperature outside. It's going to depend upon exercise, the food you eat, the salt content of your food. So it's brilliant, uh, real-time connection with you and your body, understanding what works for you. And you can start to tailor it in terms of more personalised nutrition. How can you personalise your diet for best mental health and cognitive performance? How do you find out about yourself in terms of that? I think the last two years has been an opportunity for us to be more aware of how we feel mentally, physically, emotionally. Hopefully people have had maybe a bit more time to themselves. And I think there is real strength and real possibility in even something as simple as diarising just 10 minutes for yourself every day. And in that 10 minutes, we're not on our computers and we're not looking at our phones. We position ourselves by a window, by a door, an open door, outside in nature, and say to ourselves, how am I feeling physically, mentally, emotionally? And by doing that, we're starting to check in with ourselves and we're starting to maybe appreciate that maybe some things are not quite as we would like. And then we can start to address them a little bit better. Mm. And then that starts to open up a world of possibilities in terms of personalising the route that's right for you. I think it's true, isn't it? People, I think we live in the thing where you reach to the medicine cabinet when in fact it's possibly their own behavior or diet yeah it's that it's that magic pill isn't it we yeah. all kind of want one of those for longevity for beauty for everything to maximize everything health related but actually if we start to unpeel the layers we actually seem to understand what the cause of these things can be and if you fix the cause then you don't need to worry about anything yeah. else i want to talk about specific foods and what they do but but before we jump on to that tell us about omega-3 we see a lot of adverts and cod liver oil tablets are full of it eat kippers for breakfast what's your thoughts on that and what does omega-3 do for you well you're asking me the right question because this was actually in my dissertation for my masters um but omega-3 is absolutely one of those things that i say we all need to consume more of it's also known as an essential fatty acid. And it's called essential because our bodies cannot make it, and yet we need it in our diet. So you ask the question, you know, why do we need omega-3? What is so good about omega-3? Well, the science is very robust, and it shows that it's one of our best anti-inflammatories. Obviously, it's a natural source. And many people may not realize, but most of our chronic health conditions are inflammatory-based. But it's also very beneficial for things like helping to lower your cholesterol level because it improves the HDL, the good part of your cholesterol. We know that it's beneficial for our mental health and we think the role that it plays in mental health is the transporter of serotonin. So let's just say that we are actually making enough serotonin, but it's just not getting to where it needs to go. That's omega-3. Um, so salmon is a great source. We can also buy things like mackerel, which has already been filleted. Uh, we're coming into the summer months. Mackerel's a great source with salad, for example. But also other oily ones, as you say, like kippers, sardines, for example. So oily is the better one. 
And what when they, when they talk about omega-3 in terms of brain functionality, is there anything in that? So omega-3 can be like a short chain and a long chain. The benefit is in the long chain, and that's what we call EPA and DHA. And that's the one that conveys the real benefits in terms of um, anti-inflammatory, mental health, etc. The mechanisms that we know so far, I'm sure in many years to come, more will become unraveled. But we know that every cell, every organ in our body has a fat layer for protection, but also for cell signaling. So thousands of times a day, messages, signals go between cells. So we need the omega-3 to permit cell signaling. So that's a big part of our mental health and our concentration. So interestingly, part of the brain is um, called the hippocampus. It's a very small part of the brain, and that's involved in learning and in memory. We used to think that when we're born, the forms within our brain are set. But we know actually now that no, the hippocampus involved, as I say, in memory and learning is plastic. It's changeable. So our diet can benefit the plasticity of the hippocampus. Could you pack a lunch for us if I was studying and just talk us through what you'd put in it and why? Well, it's got to be a few different options there, haven't there? Because obviously we've all got different tastes, we've all got different eating styles, for example. Right, yeah. Absolutely. So I'll try and be as broad as I can. Let's start with um, somebody who kind of will eat anything. Someone who's no, no intolerances, pretty broad. As nutritionists, we're all about obviously food first and about variety. If I'm in the position of a student and I'm thinking I want really good focus, I want concentration. The first key thing I'm going to be thinking of is protein. So if you're somebody who eats, for example, everything, then if you're thinking about your lunch, I'd be thinking protein first, and I'd be thinking that could be, for example, a source of maybe chicken, salmon, or it could be some eggs. I would then add a source of carbohydrate with it because carbohydrate is really important for brain fuel. But I would choose not so much of the simple carbohydrates, which is things like white mm. bread, white rice, white pasta. I'd be going more for the complex kind of carbohydrates to give us more sustainable focus and concentration. So I'd be looking at things like brown rice, whole wheat pasta. So for example, if you wanted to have some brown rice, also put in some frozen sweet corn and some frozen peas. Don't be shy of frozen. Frozen is cheaper. Actually, nutritionally, slightly better as well because the nutrients are locked in at source when they are picked. So they've not been lost during the transportation process. It's better for the environment as well, isn't it? Less waste. So I would put some, you know, frozen veg in with my pasta or my rice, cook it all together. And then you can basically combine it with your source of protein. And so look at that. Magically, you've got protein, you've got carbs. Mm. And if you wanted to include some fat as well, you could drizzle some olive oil on it as well or finely chop some nuts with it as well. So um, let's think about maybe um, vegan or, or vegetarian options. So if you're, you're maybe um, vegetarian, you might be fine with some of the, the cheeses. So you could use feta or halloumi in there as well. Um, in terms of vegan, it's not impossible. It's a little bit trickier. I'm thinking in terms of focus and in concentration because we know that protein is the key thing there. So although plant sources are sources of protein they're not as protein dense 
So we may find that people who follow more a vegan diet may actually need to eat more regularly to maintain that level of concentration. But certainly things like soups. So can you make your own soup? It's really cheap, you know, find a stock, make your own stock, put a load of different vegetables in there, but make sure you also include some beans or some barley, some grains basically in there. So if you do change your diet, how will you know? And I think you've possibly already answered this, but are there any little things that people can look for to say, look, I do feel better or I have noticed a difference. How, how do you get people to measure that? Well, that's the amazing thing about nutrition. It really depends. So you can see very quickly within a matter of minutes, for example, um, how you may respond to just, we talked earlier on about the glycemic index. So literally switching from high glycemic index foods to more lower glycemic index foods, you will notice within half an hour a difference. But if we're thinking about nutrition in terms of perhaps our mental health, that's a longer term picture, realistically. And to be honest, it's the same with antidepressant medication. It's about a three month window. Mm. You know, the benefit of omega-3 is huge, but you have to be realistic about it. You are not really going to see any benefit until at least a month, but realistically three months. It's got a lot of work to do. You know, it, it's got to improve your cholesterol. It's got to improve your joints. It's so hugely beneficial that it's going to take time to show. So you're absolutely right. We just need to sit with it, to be aware that it's going to take a little bit longer. It is one of those things is that it's only when somebody says, I had a headache today, and you go, it's funny, you know, I haven't had one for two months. And, it, you know, it's, it's those little sparks in conversation, isn't it, that get you. So if you can put just, you know, your idea sit by a window and just reflect back and say, am, am I feeling a little bit different now I've changed my diet slightly? And... Once you've got the recognition, you're more likely to continue, aren't you? Antoinette, look, it's been really interesting. Let, let me see if I can get close to summarising some of the things that you've said. So things that stuck out for me, that there's a direct link between what you eat and your physical and mental well-being, and, and we know that, and that's a fact. One size doesn't fit all, and there's an element of personalizing your diet and you may need to experiment almost on yourself to, to sort of figure that out and it's important to think about the right food for what you want it for and I think when we spoke before that was one of the, the things that struck me is that you know you, you might keep your diet the same but an athlete would never do that an athlete would change their diets to suit their particular um, activities is there a big takeaway that you'd like to leave people with? I'm going to reiterate what I said right at the start because I think it's a very powerful message that your genes are not your destiny, okay? So we are responsible for a lot of our health. So if you want to be in optimum health, if you're studying you know, to be an accountant and you want to be at the top of your game and it's about marginal gains, then I know that you will go the extra margin. So don't become obsessive about it. Mm. But I think most of us realize that what we eat is our output. So if you want to have an amazing output, you have to feed it well. So the realization that you can be what you want to be, you know, you are the master of your own destiny. So prioritize how you fuel your body and it will thank you in terms of your performance. And in terms of where you get your ideas inspirations i know you've got a podcast is that something people can listen to yeah absolutely yeah so um the podcast is called bite size nutrition 
I have fantastic guests on there like uh, Tim Spector, the guy behind the COVID app, gold Olympians, authors. Um, so full spectrum, but all in relation to health. And Jeanette, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find us. Let's continue the conversation. Follow us on social at Kaplan UK and let us know what you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes.